And God has shown up. We're going to start this week where we picked up, where we ended last week. We'll start this week is what I'm trying to say. Good morning, everybody. If you weren't here last week, you missed it. It was really great. You should be here every week, but that's on you. I'm just going to say that. Uh, but I'm really glad. I'm kidding. Well, kind of. But welcome. I'm really glad that you're here. Those of you who are here in West Des Moines and those watching at one of our campuses around central Iowa, greetings to all of you. In Ankeny and Des Moines and Waukee and Johnston Grimes and uh, in Ames and also uh, those watching online all over the world right now. Uh, welcome to all of you. Camera adds 10 pounds. We have a God who loves us and brings us his light. I also want to say uh, that movie clip is where we left off last week. It's not the movie I really want you to focus on. It's a great movie. You should see it sometime with your whole family called Woodlawn. But it's the, it's the story that it tells. And it's a story that's told about a high school in Birmingham, Alabama. We have high school students here today from our ignition ministry who are finishing up a retreat. So glad that you're here. Welcome, everybody. We're all glad they're here, too. And I love that you put your sleeping bags right off to the side. That is so homey. I just love that. And they're not just sitting here. A bunch of them are serving uh, in different hospitality ministries and behind the scenes right now all throughout the church. You are not just the church of the future. I know people tell you that a lot, but you're the church of today too. Uh, we need you now, uh, not just someday when you graduate from high school and move forward. We need you to be the church now because you bring a light that this world needs and this church needs. Let your light shine, the Bible says. This is a picture of where this whole movement started. It was in the early 1970s. This is the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas. And this was an overhead helicopter shot of the Billy Graham crusade that night. And you can start to see the light that's starting to move, the candles that are being lit on both sides of the stadium and just a little bit in the front where Billy Graham was uh, preaching the gospel. And within a few minutes, that light would envelop the whole stadium and it would shine out into the darkness of the night. The way the camera is, it looks a lot brighter than it really was. This is a nighttime photo. And the candles are starting to shine. The light is starting to shine. When that light goes out, we notice and we get a glimpse of the hope that God brings. You can see this light in a lot of different ways. Like, I don't know, this. Uh, like in a football game, the light shines into darkness, and that's a good moment. Not only that, if you're new to hope, uh, if you're old to hope, you know this already because you saw this kid grow up. He used to be in ignition. He was in our Power Life ministry. He grew up in Hope Kids. His parents taught him and pointed him to Jesus Christ, and now he lets his light shine, not just on the field, but off the field too. And yesterday, David slew the giant Goliath, and Iowa State beat Oklahoma when Alan Lazard, Hope's very own, caught the touchdown pass at the end of the game to win the game. Some of the cheerleaders are from Hope too. Uh, it was just, a, it was a moment, right? It was absolutely awesome. It's been a good week for young men from Hope on a national kind of let your light shine scale. Uh, four chair turns on the voice and people kind of seeing that too and that's awesome. But it's not just the light that the, that the world sees on national TV like in a college football game or in a uh, reality TV voice competition. It's the light that God wants all of us to shine no matter where we are. There's a light I want you to know about today from this past week. This is Erin Larson. She grew up in this church too, about the same age, a little bit older than Alan. 
Went to Ignition, was a part of our student ministry here, was a leader, even as a high school student, as a lot of you are, was uh, involved in our Power Life Confirmation, our Sunday school called Hope Kids, it was called Kingdom Quest before that. Erin grew up here, and we were here as a church to supplement the faith that her parents were passing on to her, the light that they gave to her so she could shine into the world around her. Erin didn't grow up uh, with a trouble-free life. Her brother Jason, who was a big part of our Hope family too, was diagnosed with cancer, and after a valiant and warrior struggle, uh, Jason passed away, and it broke our church's heart. I mean, we were all grieving uh, and suffering, and yet Aaron still had that same smile and that same joy, because the joy of Jesus Christ is untouchable by circumstances in this world. I don't mean that she wasn't sad about it and she didn't grieve, she did. Of course, it broke her heart, but she didn't lose the joy of the Lord. She went to the University of Iowa, graduated, knowing her probably with honors, uh, got her first job as a child care specialist at the biggest hospital in Las Vegas, Nevada, where she lives now and where she serves and she lets her light shine. If you don't know, a child care specialist is somebody who comes alongside of children who are hospitalized with terrible diseases and diagnoses that are a little bit hard to take. A child care specialist in a hospital comes alongside of those kids and comes alongside of their families and their loved ones. And Erin knows exactly how important that is from her life experience. And so this is her call, and this is the way God allows her light to shine for the world around her. This past Sunday night, Erin was with friends at an exhibition NHL hockey game in Las Vegas. Who knew Las Vegas has an NHL team? I just learned that uh, in researching for this sermon and hearing the story about Aaron. Uh, they do. It doesn't matter. They'll lose to the Blackhawks. But they have a team now. <laughs> this team had an exhibition game. Aaron and her friends normally would go to the country music festival that was happening a block or two away from this new stadium on that Sunday night this past week. But for whatever reason, they decided to go to the hockey game instead and I'm glad they did. After the game, they went to Taco Bell, which was right next to it, I guess, and then they were walking to their car, which was in a parking lot in between this new hockey stadium and the place where the country music festival was. When they got to their car, Aaron and her friends, there was panic and pandemonium. People were running for their lives, screaming, there's a live shooter, get out of here, you've gotta go. Aaron looked under her car, and there were three people hiding, trying to protect themselves from bullets. They pleaded with Aaron. They said, even though you don't know us, please drive us anywhere. Take us anywhere. Two blocks away, 10 blocks away, we don't care. Just drive us anywhere. Aaron did. Of course she did. It's who she is. They got in the car. They drove. She dropped them off. She could have gone home. She wasn't supposed to be working that night. But of course, she let her light shine because she knows her identity and call. And she drove back to the hospital where she wasn't scheduled to work that night. And then she drove back and forth from the hospital back to the crime scene of the most horrendous mass murderer in the history of this country and back and forth to the hospital all night long. If you're gonna applaud hope, applaud for that kind of light that shines into the darkness. 
No chairs turning around, no, no ESPN commentators saying that he's a pro prospect or anything like that. But, but a young woman who's being who God has called her to be, a child of God. And the reason she does that is because she's grounded in God's word. And she knows the truth and the importance of God's word in a time of darkness. Oh, the darkness is real, but the light is too. And the light overwhelms the darkness, the Bible says, John chapter 1, verse 5. And the darkness can't overcome it, can't extinguish it. And so we have this light and we hold on to this, not just because we live charmed lives. Following Jesus doesn't mean all of the suffering goes away, all of the turmoil goes away, all of the challenges goes away, or all the darkness goes away, or all the chaos goes away. It means you can find joy and peace and life in the midst of it. And you can find God's light in the midst of that darkness. And then God says, I want you to let it shine. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. On Monday morning when I woke up and I heard the news, I felt compelled to post something on social media just to give anybody, maybe it would help one person, a word of hope. I started to type something and I realized how absolutely pointless my words were and how much we needed God's word. So that's all I posted. God's word, a simple verse with a powerful promise. God blesses those who mourn. It says more than you think, for they will be comforted. God blesses us even when we're brokenhearted and mourning the death of loved ones who mean the world to us because God says, I've got death covered. I've got the worst darkness this world can throw at you covered. My light breaks through and it overcomes the darkness. And if you can take the long view and see things from eternity, from an eternal perspective, God says, because I am an eternal God, I promise to you, you will be comforted and it will turn out okay. Even for the 58 people who lost their lives in Las Vegas on Sunday night or early Monday morning or whenever it was that they actually lost their lives, my light breaks through God's life for our death. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Me standing up here and telling you what I think, what's that going to do? You know, at times in my life where I've been most up against it, and there have been a few, when my heart has been broken the most, mourning the death of somebody who meant everything to me, my father, when I've been given, given diagnoses of some disease I was born with in my heart that I didn't know about till I was 48 years old, and the multi-layers of it and how complicated it is, when I'm up against it and I hear this news, I'm telling you, nothing less will do. Seinfeld reruns usually do it. Tom Petty music usually does it. All sorts of things that I turn to, my go-tos, don't come through when the darkness is that deep. Even though I walk through the deepest, darkest valley, the shadow of death, God, your light breaks through and it shines for me. I need your word. We all do. Nothing less will do than a God who says, I've got this. I've got this. It's not just in Matthew 5. It's here in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and you're carrying heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. And then again in John 16, Jesus promises here on earth you're going to have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And then in 2 Corinthians, God's word reminds us, God comforts us in all our troubles so we can comfort others, like Aaron did, because of the way her parents pointed her to the light, and her identity and her call is somebody who's been created by a good God, because of the way you helped point her to that light as a church. Let your light shine. 
God comforts us so we can reflect that light and that compassion and that comfort to the world around us. When they're troubled, we'll be able to give the same comfort God has given us. Let your light shine, church. Let it shine for the whole world to see. We underestimate the power of this light. There are over 10,000 people who show up at Hope every weekend to worship. There are over 2.2 billion Christians around the world. Oh, if we would just wake up and not become something that we can't be. Just be who we are. Be who God has made us to be. You are the light of the world, Jesus says, in this same Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon he ever preached, where he says, let your light shine, and where he says, God comforts those who mourn. He says, let your light shine in a way that the world is gonna notice, it's gonna illuminate the land. If we could just be who we are, well, and that's all fine and good, you could say, but it's church talk. It's, you know, religious language, let your light shine. What exactly does that mean? How do we let our light shine? And how does that light lead to the revival that our, that our world is in such desperate need of? Well, Jesus spells that out for us too. He just doesn't just say you ought to let your light shine. He says how. And he says it in this same most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He starts by saying love. And we're like, cool. I love people who love me. I love my wife. And I love my kids. My daughter. And I love my, I, no, my sons too. And I love, and I love my mom. And I love my neighbors and my friends. And I love people in my church. And I, and I love the people I hang out with. And I love the people who love the Cubs. And I, and I love, so that those people are easy to love, right? But Jesus didn't just say love them. He said anybody can do that. He said if you follow me, you're gonna love your enemies. And this is not a polite suggestion. This is not a tip to get rid of some stress in your life. This is a commandment from our Lord. If you follow me, you're going to love your enemies. You're going to love the people who rub you the wrong way. You're going to love the people who are EGRs for you. We call that extra grace required to love them around here. You're going to love the people who uh, have a different political worldview than you. You don't have to agree with them. You could be right and they could be wrong. And you should hash that out and you should have that conversation. But it should be truth spoken in love. And I don't hear a lot of the love part in that truth these days. I hear a lot of people claiming truth, but apart from love. And the Bible, here we go again with the Bible. The Bible corrects us. The Bible reminds us not to become something that we aren't, but just to be who we are. Love your enemies. Don't just say you love them, really love them. And then Jesus gives us another surprise in the same sermon. He says, because you say, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that. Jesus says, here, do it like this. Pray. Pray for the people who persecute you. Pray for the people who rub you the wrong way. Pray for the people you have the hardest time with. Because if you pray for them, you're going to have a hard time hating them. I say, yeah, but I want to hate them. <laughs> it's more fun to hate them. They, do, they don't deserve my love. And they don't deserve my prayers because they've done some awful things to me or to other people. Or, or they take stands that are just awful for this country or this world. And I don't want to love them. And I don't want to pray for them. 
You're not just doing it for them, you're doing it for you. See, here's the powerful thing about prayer that you might have missed. When you pray for people who persecute you, when you pray for your enemies, it's not just you saying, God, fix them. (laughs) Fix them. Fix what's wrong with them. God might do that. But as you're praying, as I'm praying for my enemies, God gets into my heart. And instead of starting with fixing them, oftentimes God starts with fixing me, with fixing my view of them. I might even be right and they might be wrong, but it's my lack of love that's the problem. And it's not just hurting them. More than them, it's hurting me. It's keeping me from a full life. It's weighing me down. It's taking my best energy and time. It it, it distracts me. It derails me. It keeps me from shining my light. It keeps me from being the person God made me to be, which is why Jesus commands this. It's not just for them. It's for us. It's not just pray for them so it'll be better for them. It's pray for them so it'll be better for you, so it'll be better for me. So that we can let it go. Oh, our human nature wants to demonize and wants to divide and wants to say how terrible everybody is. But the problem with destroying somebody verbally, either to their face or the way our sinful nature usually likes to do it behind their backs, the problem with verbally destroying people on any form, spoken words, social media posted words, whatever, they, the problem with destroying somebody verbally, going after them, I mean, at first it's a rush, right? It's like, I totally nailed that. Wait till they read that. Oh, it's gonna be great. Gives you this rush, right? It's this rush of self-righteousness. But then you gotta deal with the aftertaste. And it's sour, isn't it? You ever notice how that stuff never satisfies your soul? Jesus says, let me show you a better way. A way better way. Speak your truth, but learn to speak that truth in love. Love not just your friends, but love your enemies. Pray not just for the people that you love, pray for those who persecute you. Pray not just for those who agree with you, pray for those who disagree. Because you're going to have a harder time holding on to that hate, which is killing you. Which is taking life away from you. Because you were not created by God to hate. Your sinful nature wants to, but the spirit God gives to you says, let me show you a better way. Let me teach you how to be a light for the darkness and not just join the darkness. The way to wipe out darkness is not by joining them, by pushing back with more darkness. It's to shine light. It's to be counter to the culture. It's to offer an alternative. It's to show something better, a better way, a deeper truth, a more abundant life. And the way this happens is by loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, and ultimately, oops, that was wrong. Sorry. It is to know God. Our theme this year is to know and to be known, and that's not just get to know each other, it is within our church community called Hope. Find your group, find your ministry, find your mission, find your place, and along the way, you build bonds and relationships with sisters and brothers in Christ. It is that, but it's also get to know God. Get to know the one who made you. And the way that happens, there is no alternative, is you have to get to know this book. 
You have to get to know the stories of Scripture. And you have to become fluent in the language of Scripture. Otherwise, you're going to get to know a God who's been invented for you. And that would cut completely against the grain of the Reformation that Luther started 500 years ago. He started it on all sorts of levels. The 95 Theses, if you know European history even a little bit, you know that. You know the Diet of Worms where he took his stand. Here I stand, I can do no other. What you may not know or may have forgotten along the way is that right after the Diet of Worms, Luther's life was at danger because all the powers that be wanted him dead. And people who had tried to do what Luther was doing in the early 1500s had been executed for it. In fact, Luther was a lot louder than they were. And so they were afraid he'd be next. And so his friends, not his enemies, his friends kidnapped him and took him to the Wartburg Castle, which I find kind of funny if you know your Iowa small colleges that Luther went to Wartburg, but I'm just going to kind of pass that right through. <laughs> here's the Wartburg Castle where Luther hung out. Nice digs, right? But here's the humble little room where he lived for about a year, hiding out because he was a dead man, according to all the powers that be around him. He hung out in this humble little room and he spent the first 10 or 11 weeks translating the original Greek of the New Testament into German for the first time ever. Nobody had ever done that before, which just because of that, it's kind of a big historical moment, but it's way bigger than that and it's way more personal for you. Because Luther did this, it's changed your life and it's changed the world. Because until Luther did this, Roughly 1% of the world could read the Bible. The Bible was out, but 99% of the world didn't have access to it because it wasn't written in a language that they knew. If you grew up in what is now Germany and spoke German, which would be normal, which is what 99% of people did, your neighbors around you, you couldn't read the Bible because the Bible was written in Greek or Hebrew or Latin. Those were your choices. And the only people who know that language were professional clergy who were educated to learn Greek and Hebrew and Latin. And so if you didn't know those languages, you didn't know God's word. And the church was in no hurry to teach it to you back then because they didn't want you to know that the Bible doesn't say anything about purgatory, doesn't say anything about indulgences, doesn't say anything about the corruption of papal authority and a hierarchy in a church the way it was corrupt back then. I'm not talking necessarily about the way it is today, but the Bible doesn't say anything about those things. And so the church back then didn't want you to know what the Bible says. They would tell you what it says. And who are you to disagree because you can't read it? Until this happened, which changed the whole world. Suddenly, anybody who could read could read the Bible. And even if you couldn't read, you could just find somebody who could read. And they'd read you the Bible in a language you could understand. Now God's word is getting out. And when God's word gets out, we get to scratch this, that's a mistake, no God. And when we get to know God, it starts to change us from the inside out. We receive the light and it starts to reflect out of us. Not because we have to sit there and think about it and say, huh, wow, there's a mass murder going on in the city where I live. Uh, I think I'll just go home. We, don't, we, don't, we just do what we do because of who we are. Because we discover our call and our identity. And we follow it. Because we know God, because we know God's word. And the reason you know God is because of what happened when Luther went to Wartburg. When he took 10 weeks of his life to translate the Bible into a language that the world could understand. 
And after that, that inspired others to translate it into Spanish and into English, into whatever language it is that is your native tongue. So that you could know. So that you could know the power of God's word. He takes the reader with him by taking the original Greek of the New Testament and translating it into the kind of German that mothers speak to their children, that neighbors speak to other neighbors. He was letting his light shine. This is my old favorite church history professor who you just met up on the screen, Dr. James Nestigan, the guy with the accent who used to turn or do his lectures just like this, don't you know? And he'd say, you know, the Luther, he, he did this and Joseph spoke the most beautiful German to Mary back then, don't you know? And in English, oh, ha! That was, that was Nestigan. And he said, and Luther didn't just do this so you could know the word. He did this so you could spread the word. Ha! Which is what the Bible says too. Which is why Dr. Nestigan taught me as a seminarian 30 years ago. And apparently he's still saying it today. Spread the word. Everybody let's say that together. Spread the word. Shout it out. Spread the word. Are you doing it? How are you doing it? Because this word of scripture in the Old and the New Testaments isn't just so you can get to know God, so you can tell other people about it. How are you spreading the word? How are you shining your light in this way? Who are you inviting to, to get into this book which will change their lives, which we take for granted? But when it was translated into a language the world around Luther could understood, it started a revival. That we continue, the ripple effect of that revival continues to us today as a Lutheran church of hope. The soul can do without everything except the word of God, Luther said. When nothing less will do, we need God's word. And in this world, that nothing less will do stuff happens frequently. Because all scripture is inspired by God, our Bible reading for today. And is useful to teach us what is true and corrects us from what is wrong and keeps us from starting new religions or joining cults if we know what God's word says. It points us to the path that God calls us to follow. It's a good path with lots of great scenery and you're gonna see things that you wouldn't be able to see. Blessed are you to see what you get to see if you follow me, Jesus says. But it's so easy to slip off to the right or to the left. And I mean that theologically, spiritually, politically. We can fall off to the right, we can fall off to the left, and next thing you know, we're in the ditch. We're not walking on the bridge anymore. It's legalism, it's, it's moralistic teaching, it's reducing the Bible into something it's not. It's missing the point of Scripture. It, it's using Scripture as some sort of means to an end and proof texting passages to support the point I want to make and trying to get Jesus to sound like me instead of trying to get me to sound like Jesus. And it happens. I, I don't want to scare you about it or anything, but it's happening in this community. There are people right here in central Iowa who, who spill out all sorts of moralistic or spiritualistic or Gnostic teachings and age-old heresy. You say, what does that mean? Let me explain it to you. It's people like this. They come to you and they say, oh, well, you know, churches, church, the, the regular churches, they talk about Jesus, but you know, you shouldn't even use the name of Jesus. It's really Yeshua. Ooh, you've got some secret knowledge. And you say, because in the original biblical Hebrew of the Old Testament, the name Joshua is Yeshua. And in the Aramaic that Jesus spoke, it's Yeshua. First of all, biblical Hebrew, I'm not talking about modern Hebrew, I'm talking about biblical Hebrew is a dead language. 
So is Aramaic. I'm not talking about modern Aramaic. I'm talking about the Aramaic Jesus spoke. Dead language. Nobody knows how to pronounce these letters. We're doing it with our best guess. So if you, say, if you insist it's Yeshua, you really don't know. Secondly, there are some pretty famous authors inspired by the Holy Spirit who did not refer to Jesus as Yeshua. They used the Greek name for Jesus in the New Testament. Their names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul. They used the language people understood, which is what Luther did in German, which is what English translators do for us who speak English. His name is Jesus in English. And that is our call. But if you aren't careful, you'll get people who come around and say, ah, secret knowledge. You know, the regular churches won't teach you this. Oh, we won't teach it to you because it's false. Because it isn't biblical. If it sounds weird, it probably is, folks. And the more you get to know scripture, the, least, the less susceptible you are to these kinds of things. People who come along and say, oh, you, you shouldn't do anything to try to draw people into the kingdom, to let your light shine. That's not biblical. To make disciples means disciples go and, and let their light shine to do evangelism. One always leads to the other. But the Bible says this. Next verses, next chapter, right after it says all scripture is inspired, Paul, at the end of his ministry, writes to the young pastor, Timothy, the time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will teach them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Gnosticism, moralism, legalism, relativism, all these different things that trip us off the bridge. And we're not following Jesus anymore, even though it sounds religious and it sounds spiritual. They'll reject the truth and chase after myths. Prosperity, gospel teaching, it's not the truth of Scripture. So as Lutherans, and as Christians, Lutherans don't have a monopoly on this. As any Christian who cares about what the Bible says, we let the Bible lead us. And we remember the main point. The main point of the Bible is not an end in itself, but to draw us deeper into this relationship that we have with God. To know God all the more. To know and to be known, our theme for this year. Well, God already knows you. He's doing his part. How well do you know God? He knows how many hairs are on your head, the Bible says. He knows your motives for what you do, not just what you do. He knows why you did it, even when you don't. When you aren't in touch with why you did that thing that you did. God knows. And yet he still loves you and me. By his grace. God knows us. How well do we know God? Because this is how the revival happens. We don't just go out and say, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to let my light shine. It's grounded in God's word so we don't fall off the bridge. Understanding the point of scripture is to get connected to our creator. The biblical metaphor, one of them for this is a marriage between a bride and a groom where the bride is the church and the groom is Jesus Christ. The Bible repeats this in several different books of the Bible. We're the bride and Jesus is the groom. When you think about this, you think of the couples here at the church who've been married 65 years or longer and how they've bonded as one where they finish each other's sentences. Isn't that cute? And they hold hands during sermons. I can see. And they, and they love each other so much they start to look alike. Have you ever heard that phrase? The longer you're married to somebody, the more you start to look like that person. 
That is really hopeful news for me. I mean, look at her, look at me. I mean, it just kind of adds up, right? This is really hopeful. Then I will know everything completely, Scripture says, just as God knows me completely. That's the goal of Scripture. So that we can get to know God completely. And as we get to know God, we get to know ourselves. Our call and our identity. How to let our light shine. Loving enemies, praying for those who persecute us, knowing God so we can spread his word. Let me give you a story in case you're missing it, and then we'll wrap it up. When my wife and I, we've been married almost 30 years this December, when we go out to eat, we don't have to, like, talk about it. I already know what she's going to do. She knows what I'm going to do, because we do life together. The menus are going to come, and I'm going to order, like, something very simple, number seven. Because then I don't have to pronounce any of the funny words on there. She, on the other hand, isn't going to order anything on the menu. The menu is more of sort of a suggestion sort of thing for her that gets her imagination going. And so she'll pull out, you know, this thing right here. I'd like to have this part, but it comes with this. I'd rather have that. And instead of that, can I mix together some of this? And then not too much of this, but a little more of that. And then she's created a whole new menu item. And half the time they're like, that's a really good idea. (laughs) And I just laugh because I know her. I know she's going to do it. And it's fun. It's entertaining for me. (laughs) And then the food comes and she eats most of her food. And I devour, vacuum down all of my food. And I'm almost always done before her. And then she looks at me and without saying a word, shovels a little bit of her food onto my plate. Because she's like half my size. I'm two of her. And then I eat a plate and a half or so or a plate and a quarter of food. And she eats a half to three quarters of a plate of food. And then the server comes and says, would you like dessert? And I'm completely stuffed. No, I would not like dessert. Why would I want dessert? I just ate a plate and a half of food. By choice, because I'd rather have the substance of that meal I just ate than some fluffy, sugary, desserty thing. That's just me. But when the server asks if I'd like dessert, my answer is, yes, yes, we both would. <laughs> We'd like to split a dessert, two forks, please. And it's whatever's the most chocolatey thing on the menu. Bring that. So then the server comes with this chocolate decadence thing and puts it in the middle of the table and without saying a word I slide it over to Sally and my fork doesn't get used and then she has a religious experience and I watch and everybody goes home happy I've got it on video no I will not show that that's I want to stay married to her but I have it on my phone if you want to see it afterwards I mean it's amazing her eyes, oh, this is so good. <laughs> Pretty sure she likes the dessert more than me, and I'm okay with that, as long as I'm in the top two. The reason we're able to do this is because we've been married for almost 30 years, and there's not a lot of guessing on that. We know. We know what's going to happen. We've been doing life together for a long time. This is what God wants in his relationship with you. He already knows you. How well do you know him? And how do you get to know him? It's the scriptures. It's God's word. It's becoming fluent in these stories. 
so that they aren't just stories you read about that happened once upon a time. They're stories about you and about your creator and about this marriage he wants to have with you, about this relationship that he wants to have with you, about this eternal life he wants to give to you. This is our God, and this is his love poured out for us. So Paul says at the end of his life to young Pastor Timothy, and be like uh, saying to Pastor Nick, our youth pastor, Pastor Timothy Nick, here you go. Keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Know the word, know God, and spread the word. In this verse, work at telling others, the Greek word is this one right here. And Luther had to wrestle with this and translate it. It literally means proclaiming glad tidings to the world around you. In more everyday English, sharing good news. In a word that's been maligned and now misdefined, evangelistic. Share the gospel. Proclaim the good news is what it literally means. Shine your light. Spread the word of God. Let it shine to the world around you so you can say two verses later as Paul wraps up his ministry, Timothy, I fought the good fight. (laughs) This one slays me every time. Because when it's all said and done, more than anything else, I want to be able to say this with integrity. As I look back over my life, I want to be able to say this and know that it's true. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Lutheran Church of Hope, if you can say that at the end of your life, you got it. You didn't miss the point. You live for the stuff that God, your creator, created you to live for. You fought the good fight. It's not easy. It's dark in this world. You have to shine your light. Sometimes you're going to get persecuted for it. Sometimes you're going to get hit for it. Sometimes you're going to get embarrassed about it. Sometimes people are going to tease you for it. Sometimes they're going to mock you in the hallways of your school because they know you're a Christian. And you say, that's all right, because I'm not going to miss the point of life. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I did what God created me to do. Because I know my call and my identity. And you have the same one. You are a child of God. You are the body of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You are called to know and to be known by this God. And to let your light shine by loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. And getting to know God and spreading his word. To be the light shining in the darkness. Give God praise. It's good to have goals in life. Live your life today so you can say this on your deathbed. Live your life today so that you can say this with integrity and you can mean it. This is the way I live, not perfectly. I made mistakes. I I hurt some people I didn't mean to hurt. They hurt me. Hopefully they didn't mean it either. But I let my light shine. This is how revival starts. It gets ignited. Ignition by people who want to be the church. Let your light shine, church. Go out and be who God has made you to be. All of you. Spread the word. 